There are a lot of smiling children, a lot of smiling parents. Today we're going to be looking at a story in Acts. This is a story that probably most of you know, at least the basic parts of it, but one that addresses a very um, important but also frequent issue and question that comes to our mind. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God, as it comes to us through the book of Acts. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis, and from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. The Word of God. I realized in first service, I always stand right here to start. And that, that just feels good to be different, doesn't it? Here we go. You know, an issue, as I mentioned uh, in the introduction to the reading, or a question that I hear people deal with probably more than any other issue of faith, and I would say that even in my own life, there have been many times where I deal with this question as well. And therefore, I think it's an important question for us to throw out there and say, well, what does the Word of God teach us about this? The question I'm talking about is this. What does God want me to do? What is the will of God in this particular time or this particular instance of my life? Now, any believer in God has asked that question at some time or another. Young people ask it oftentimes whenever those opportunities open before them and they're wondering who they should be and what they should be for the rest of their lives. I've heard people really wrestle with that when it comes time to consider marriage. 
Is this a person that God wants me to marry? Is this a a, a time in my life that I should get married? I've heard people struggle with it in divorce. Is it God's will that I stay in this relationship or is it God's will that this relationship die? We struggle with it all through our lives. We struggle about which job to take when it's time to step away from a job. And we ask God, what is your will in this particular instance? And even as we reach those those golden years and we ask, well, what does God want me to be doing now with who I am and the resources I have and the energy I have? What is God's will for my life? Well, this particular passage deals with those issues, and I think it brings some insight as well. But before we look at the passage, I want to just lay out my, um, what is the word I'm trying to think of, my presuppositions, where I'm coming from, because I have a lot of feelings and and opinions about this particular issue due to uh, studying Scripture and due to helping other people wrestle with it and my own wrestlings as well. And so I want to just be up front with you and let you know where I'm coming from. My basic view of God is Father. Uh, There's a lot of other descriptions in the Bible about God and who he is, but the one that resonates best in my life is the one that probably is most often used to describe God, and that is Father. And you remember the time in the New Testament where Jesus was talking about being a good parent and was talking about how people try to be good parents? And then he makes the jump and says, don't you realize that God is the best parent ever? that he is the perfect parent. While we as earthly parents don't always make the right decisions, God as our Father always does. So therefore, when I think about God, that is the first image and that is the most accessible image to me of who God is in my life. He is my Father. So when it comes time for me to ask him, what do you think I ought to do? What is your will for my life? Well, I I do that through the filter of him being a father. I'm a father. I've been asked that question by my sons. Dad, what do you think I ought to do? And you know, I do have a will for my sons. I have dreams for my sons. We just spent most of the weekend with my sons and just... Uh, It's always so great to see them doing well and babies growing and coming and, well, anyway, we got to get off of that or I'll, (laughs) just wonderful times. Uh, But especially when they were younger and and in their very formative years, when they would ask me that question directly or indirectly, Dad, what do you think? Well, I had a will for them and I had desires for them. But I also know that a good parent does not micromanage their child's life, you know? I I wanted them to grow up healthy and, and spiritually healthy. I wanted them to have a relationship with God. I wanted them to find a mate who was a good person that loved them. I wanted them to find a place to live where they could be fulfilled and they could do good things. You know, I had these wills, but I didn't say, okay, 
you will go to this school, you will marry this woman, and you will live in this house, and you will live in this city. Do you see what I mean? And sometimes when we think about God, we think he has done that. He has decided exactly all these things exactly like we ought to do them. And that's, that's not good parenting. That's very intrusive parenting, isn't it? Sometimes it happens. Now, sometimes my sons would come to me and say something like, well, Dad, you know, do you want me to drive safely or drive off the edge of a cliff? They never asked that question. But there are questions that they would ask that I had a definite, don't do this, (laughs) you know. No, don't do that. Do that. And there are times when we ask God, what do you want us to do? And he'll say, don't do this, do this. After I preached this sermon this morning, I had at least 10 people walk past me and say, you know, there was a time in my life where I really didn't know what I needed to do and I asked God and he let me know. That's true. He will. But I've also talked to people and they say, you know, I tried to decide between this and that and this and that and I kept asking God and he never told me. I said, yeah, he did. He said, either one of those is good. Really? Because that's what I told my kids sometimes. Dad, should I do this or this? Well, you know, it doesn't, I like both of those things. Which one do you want to do? So I really think that is a great insight, and, and, and I'm not giving you the scriptures and all, but I just wanted to share that with you. I think when it comes time for you to start asking those questions, and when you're asking those, God, what do I need to do? Think of him as that good father, and trust that if the decision really matters, and it's a matter of his will, he will let you know. And we'll talk about how in just a moment. But so many times if you don't get an answer, the answer is, my child, I'll bless you in either one of those things. You go and do what's best for you. Now, does that make sense? I hope it does, because it sure blessed my life to think of God in those terms. All right, well, let's quickly now look at the story about two people in particular that are seeking the will of God and asking, God, what do you want me to do? One of them, of course, is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was on a roll. The Apostle Paul had completed his first missionary journey, and he had planted churches up in these Gentile areas where the gospel had never been preached before. And then after that, he had gone back to Jerusalem. He had been called on the carpet for going out and baptizing Gentiles and not making them Jewish people and all this kind of stuff. And they had had a great meeting, and they had decided, the apostles and the elders of the church in Jerusalem, that Paul was right that Paul should be blessed in what he was doing. So off he went again, and you know he had to be feeling good, and he went back and visited these cities that he had planted these churches in and found those churches alive and growing. In one of those churches, he picked up a young man that would become one of his best friends for the rest of his life, Timothy. And so they're going along, and then all of a sudden, they hit a wall. They don't know where to go. You know, Timothy, I just imagine Timothy saying, Paul, where next? Where are we going to go preach? He says, well, let's go to Ephesus. And somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit said, no, you're not going to go to Asia. So Paul says, well, why don't we go up here to Bithynia or wherever? And off they go, and suddenly the Spirit of Jesus 
which I don't know if there's a difference. I don't think there's a difference between the Holy Spirit and Spirit of Jesus. I think that's one way that Scripture lets us know that the three are more one than three, but that's my opinion, and we'll talk about that some other time. Spirit of Jesus said, uh-uh, not there. So Paul ends up in Troas, of all places, confused, wondering what to do. And one little point before we go on and visit the next person and then come back to Paul later. It's interesting that someone that was receiving as direct communication from God as the Apostle Paul, he went through times of confusion too, didn't he? He went through times that he didn't really know what God wanted him to do. There seems to be sometimes that God needs us to have that struggle. I don't know all of why and the resolution of it and what it brings, but even Paul struggled with that whenever God was speaking directly to him. Well, let's look at this other person that's in the story. The other person is Lydia. Lydia's an interesting woman. She was from Asia, from a town called Thyatira, but she had become very successful as a businesswoman, which is kind of different for that day and age for a woman to be that successful in business. She sold very expensive cloth, probably the most expensive cloth available at the time. And she had migrated from Asia to Europe. She was living there in Philippi, had established a household and a business there. And she was also someone who had abandoned paganism. And somewhere along the way in her life story, had found, had searched for and found the one true God. Now, we don't know her story as to how she did that, whether she had some Jewish friends or whether she just happened to walk by a synagogue one day. And, and you know, I, I don't know, you know, how she did that. But she had already come to believe in the one true God. And she was someone who definitely searched for him and seeked him, seek to, and sought him, there we go, sought him in times of prayer and study, even to the point when there was no formal place to do that. And her searching for the will of God had brought her to a riverbank on a Saturday morning with some of her women friends as they sat and prayed and talked about this God whom they loved. So, we have Paul and we have Lydia. Both asking the question, what does God want me to do now? And they both receive their answer. Paul receives his in a vision. He goes to sleep, and there is a man from Macedonia. And I'm not going to play that game today, okay? But anyway, the man from Macedonia is calling him, come over here to Macedonia. No one's ever come to Macedonia. We need someone to come to Macedonia. Macedonia was one of the key places in the world. It's where Philip of Macedonia, it's where Alexander the Great was from. It was a wonderfully rich area of, of, of history and culture. Come over here and preach the gospel to us. And Paul gets up the next morning and he tells Timothy and evidently Luke has joined the group now because suddenly it's all about we and Luke is one of the we. All right, so he, he says, we're going to Macedonia. 
And it's an interesting thing. Did you notice that there in that story that immediately they start going through all these places and immediately we went here and straight here and we did blah, blah, blah. Well, the point is that they got on that ship and they headed out. They didn't dilly-dally around. In a journey that usually took several days, they did it in a day or two. They were headed straight for that because now they knew what God wanted them to do. Now, Lydia didn't get quite that direct an answer, did she? As she sat on the river, by the river, wondering what she should be doing and what God's will was for her life, it came to her in the form of what tradition tells us was a short, bow-legged, bald-headed man with a big nose, Paul. God had brought Paul to that place to come and to teach her the will of God. And we don't know what Paul talked about as he addressed that gathering there in, 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 Philippi, in Philippi out by the river. I suppose it's the same thing that he talked about in his other sermons, that God was God. He was a God of love. We have sinned. We've fallen away from him. He has redeemed us by sending his son to live, to die, to be buried, to be resurrected from the dead so that we might have hope. He preached the gospel to them. So there Lydia had been praying, tell me what to do, Lord. And through Paul he did. But he did even more. What else did he do? You're not going to answer, are you? But you know, he opened her heart to hear these words and to hear them as the word of God. Now, I don't know what that felt like. Well, I kind of do because it's happened to me. It's happened to most all of you here too. Because every one of you who's sitting here as a committed Christian has had your heart opened to receive the word of God as the word of God. You know, why do you believe? Because you sought out the word of God and God helped you to hear it and he brought you to faith. Now, there's two ways that people discovered the will of God in this story. Maybe not the only two ways it can happen, but two ways here. And in closing, I want us to look at those two ways one more time. Which way would we prefer? Which way would you prefer for God to answer your questions about what do I need to do now? Well, most of us would say, give us the Paul experience. Wouldn't it be great if we had a vision and God spoke to us directly like that? Well, I'm not saying that can't happen. I've had people tell me it's happened in their life and I'd have trouble denying that. I do know that it's not the common experience that most of us have. Paul was a special person. And one thing I've learned is that I don't want everything that Paul got. Do you? Paul was called to be a special servant of Jesus Christ and of God. And he was called to bear a lot of suffering and pain and abuse as well. And I think sometimes when God calls those special people that he's going to ask an awful lot from, he gives them an awful lot of encouragement and direct contact like that. 
My idea, my view, but I think that's true. So before we go running off and saying, well, Paul, uh, God, why don't you treat me like Paul? You better know how God treated Paul, okay? You may not want all that. But Lydia, Lydia heard the word of God and God helped her hear it as the word of God. But notice what Lydia was doing so that she could do that. And any of you who are searching for the will of God in your life right now, any of you who are asking him a question right now that you want to know the answer to, well, put yourself in the position to hear his answer. What was Lydia doing? She was a woman of prayer. She was constantly talking to God and listening to God. She didn't just write him a text message and move on through her life. You know, she kept that line open and she talked with him. And she listened to him. Prayer was a familiar habitat for her. She also was engaged in worship and listening to his word, knowing that his word could come to her and his word could shape her life and change her life. And you never know when you're asking God a question when through his Holy Spirit it may be this book that answers that question. But you got to be listening to it. you got to be reading it. It's not going to just fall off the shelf and hit you on the head and you go, oh, there it is. You got to keep looking into it and hearing it as the word of God. Lydia kept herself in the company of godly people. I have found so many times that God has spoken to me through people like the Apostle Paul that love God dearly. And whenever I've struggled with decisions and what to do in times of life, I've heard his voice through their voice and through their compassion and through their care. And finally, notice that Lydia moved every time she had an opportunity. Somewhere in her life, she had discovered God, and she immediately became a worshiper of God. And whenever Paul came and taught her about Jesus Christ and that he was her Savior, she immediately, her and her house, received him as Savior and were baptized into him. She wasn't somebody that sat back and said, well, you know, I wish God would answer my question, but that's not the answer I wanted. (laughs) I'll keep asking until I get the answer I want. That's another subject we could talk about. But may we continue as people of faith, as people who believe in a living Christ and a living God and a God who is our Father, who loves us enough to answer our questions. May we continue to ask those questions and may we continue to stay close enough to hear his answer. Let's stand and sing.